So good to see you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I just want to welcome you for joining us live here in audience, or hey, if you're tuning in online, so good to have you with us this morning, and it's just good. It's good to be together. It's good to just even just listen uh, to the Word of God and just kind of let that wash over us. Um, hey, just want to let you know, Pastor Brent has been granted four more weeks of a sabbatical, and so I would just ask you very kindly, hey, would you, would you guys continue to pray for him? Would you do that? It would mean the world to us. It would mean a lot to him as well. So, hey, well, over the next three weeks, we're going to be in a series on Psalms. Now, Pastor Bob, Pastor Tyler, and I, we have each chosen a favorite Psalm. It's really resonated with us. What we'd like to do is share with you how these songs or these letters of poetry have kind of impacted us and, and, and what they mean to us. Now, can I, let me just be completely honest with you guys. Uh, Poetry is not my favorite written form of, of lingo. I'm just being honest. Like, sci-fi is my favorite written word, but, you know, there's no sci-fi in the Bible, and that's okay. Now, but here's the thing. I do think poetry sometimes can get a bad rep. But what I love about the Psalms is their ability to relate to the human emotion. I mean, really, if you read some of them, they can be downright raw and gritty. They just are. And right now, if I can be honest, life can feel pretty raw <laughs> and gritty. So I find myself relating to them more and more. Today, as you just heard read, I want to kick off the series with Psalm 19. It is absolutely one of my favorites. I love Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis, who I bet you some of you have heard that name, he was a well-known Christian writer. He wrote books like The Chronicles of Narnia, if you ever read that. He, he said this about Psalm 19. He said, I take Psalm 19 to be the greatest poem in the book of Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's what C.S. Lewis said. I, I tend to agree. Now today what I want us to do is I want us to look at Psalm 19 through a different kind of lens, a unique lens, through the lens of a love letter. Now before the guys in here tune out and think, oh, okay, just bear with me. It'll have some manly pieces to it, I promise, Okay. And I believe that we will see in Psalm 19 three distinct ways that God displays his love for us. And, and it's my hope that you'll see in, in one or two or all three of these that, that, that just, it just rings. There's something that just rings in your heart. That, that's, my, that's my goal today. And I hope you'll feel that. I hope you'll sense that this morning. Well, let me start with this. According to Ripley's Believe It or Not, everybody remember, that was a show for a while, I think. Ripley's Believe It or Not, the longest love letter ever written was by Marcel de Lecluer in 1875. Now, Marcel was an artist in Paris, France, and his letter contained the three-word French phrase, and I hope I pronounce this right, same. I hope I didn't just like swear accidentally in French or something. same, which means, I love you. Here's the thing. Obviously, that wasn't the longest love letter ever because that's just three words. No, this love letter, those three words were written down more than one time. They were written down 1,875,000 times. Now, here's the part that just makes me chuckle. He didn't write a single word himself. He hired a scribe. And he dictated the message word for word, all three of them, 1.875 million times, and then he had the scribe read it back to him. <laughs> I 
Now, I just, here's where my sick brain goes. I just wonder, how long did it take for this guy to read, I love you, almost 1.9 million times? And that was this guy's idea of a love letter. Now, Robert Ripley, who, you know, who is the creator of Ripley's Believe It or Not, he was, here's what he said about this. He was reflecting on this, and he said this. He said, never was love made manifest by as great an expenditure of time and effort. And I thought about that, and I thought, I could not disagree more. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a little bit ridiculous, because really, how loving can it really be to just write the same thing over a million times? I'm just being honest. But here's the thing. A letter written in love and care can have a profound impact on a person's life. And if I'm honest, okay, I'm being completely a little vulnerable, Christina and I, we still have the love letters that we wrote to one another while dating in college. We do. We still got them packed away. But why do we keep them? Because they're tangible symbols. They're tangible symbols of our relationship and the feelings that we had for each other. Likewise, Psalm 19, it's going to show us, and I love this, three tangible symbols that will remind us just how much God loves us and just how valuable we are to him. Now, we know that Psalm 19 was written by David. Okay, we all know, we've probably heard King David. And I imagine that even though he was a king and people liked him, he still wanted to know that he was loved by God. And David reflected on this all the time. He wrote almost all the Psalms. And he was always thinking about God and his love. And he realized, he realized, God did a whole lot more than just write down, I love you, over a million times. And in Psalm 19, David tells us how, how God showed his love through three, what I'm going to call, love letters. So using Psalm 19 for the rest of the time, I want to show you these three representations of God's love for you. And I just hope they just hit you right in the heart today. That's my goal. As we read Psalm 19, here's the first love letter that God gave us that said, I love you. Look at what the first love letter is creation. It's all around us, you guys. It's everywhere. Here's what he said in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. Man, you talk about nature is like the wordless letter from God. It really is. Now think about this. David was an outdoorsman. He loved being outdoors. He spent most of his early life outside watching sheep. And you know where he slept? He slept outside under a canopy of stars every night. So you can imagine the things that he saw. And he would often look up at the heavens and he would see this amazing love letter from God filling the night sky. It was a love letter for David, and it's for us too. Lately, I think uh, more and more people, they've been getting out, getting outside, which I think is so good. That's one of the pros, if there are any, of, of COVID. It's, <laughs> it's forcing us to get outside more, right? And maybe we rarely get to experience the majesty, right, of a starry heaven like David did, but when we do get out, Sometimes, and, and I hope you've felt this, you've seen this, sometimes there's just something about nature that causes us to pause. Now, I don't know about you. I need outdoor time. I really do. I need fresh air. I need trees. 
I need water. And I have several favorite places that I like to go. Our family frequently travels north past Duluth, and we visit the trails and the woods along the north shore of Lake Superior. And recently, we visited Tedaguchi State Park. And I don't know if you've ever there. It's beautiful. I'd highly encourage you to go check it out. And I shot just a short little video clip. I want just 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 take just check this out. Short and sweet. And the, that video, it doesn't even do it justice. But to hike in, to do all this hiking up and down stairs, and then you get there, and then you put your feet in the water. And then you just listen to the water falling over the rock. And you know what it does? It causes me to pause. It just causes me to pause. There's just something that gives me a moment of stop. Have you ever had that moment? Because as your friend, I hope you have out in nature, either during the day or even at night, and you see something created by God that just causes you to stop. And something happens inside. And here's what I believe, friends. I believe this. That little pause, for me, it's when God whispers through creation, is what he says, says, I, I love you. I'm thinking about you. All of this, all of this that I created is for you because I love you. That's the power of that pause for me. And it's like I connect with my creator. In one of the other Psalms, this is what David wrote. He said this in Psalm 8. He says, I imagine he thought this. He's looking at these stars. He's looking at nature. And he was feeling small. And here's what he said. He says, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, man, the moon, the stars, which you set in place, what is man, what am I? What am I that you remember me? What is, what is the son of man? What am I that you would look after me? That's what David thought. And the heavens and the creation, they're so imposing. They're huge. The, the, the David wondered why God would even give him a second thought. But God did give David a second thought. And David knew it. That's why I think David was known as a, as a man after God's own heart. David recognized this beautiful love letter all around him in creation. Okay, now, if you're not the mushy, <laughs> gushy creation and tree loving type, let's just talk analytical for a minute. <clears throat> you're like, you like, you're scientific-minded? Okay, let's talk about that. Over the centuries, stars have served as a way to measure seasons, right? A fact that's actually talked about in Genesis. Many of the planets Wrap your brain around this. Many of the planets that we now know about today, they're in such a location in space that they act as a protective shield to deflect meteors, asteroids, and space debris from our Earth. Did you know that? That just blows my mind. Okay, and of course, there's the closest star in our universe. It's our own sun. One scientist marveled in this, in this, this way. He said, in many ways, the sun is just an ordinary star. But in other ways, it's clear that our sun was designed for life to be possible on Earth. Think about it. The sun's temperature and distance from Earth is perfect for life to exist. If it were closer to Earth, life would be burned away. If it were further away, Earth would be too cold to sustain life. 
We actually now know that our sun is smaller and weaker than some of the more impressive stars we've discovered in the universe. But those bigger and hotter stars, they produce huge amounts of harmful radiation. They tend to fling devastating flares out into their solar systems. And these flares, they would incinerate life on our planet. Not to mention they would wreak havoc with our cell phone reception. I'm just saying. But you see, Fred, listen. Even the closest star to us was designed by God to make life possible. Wrap your brain around that. So the starry heavens, man, they did a declaration of God's love for us. And that he has made man, a beautiful place. He's made a beautiful planet for us to live on. We are surrounded by God's love letter. I hope you pause and see it. The Romans, Paul put it this way in Romans. He said, hey, people, they, people know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. It's that wordless letter, this eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, that's what David saw. So I got to ask you, friends, heart to heart, eyeball to eyeball, what do you see? What do you see? Do, do you see creation as all just happenstance? Or do you see the love letter of a creator who absolutely loves you? Man, when David looked up into the heavens, he saw a God who was not only powerful, but a God who also loved him enough to show him the beauty of the creation. Now, David didn't stop there. While the heavens and the earth, right, they're signs of God's majesty and power, God's second love letter reveals what God really thinks about us. See, love letter two that God has given to us a lot of us have on our shelves at home. It's the Bible. It's God's word. It's the second thing that God has given us to say, I care about you. I love you. Here's what it says, starting at verse 7. It says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord, you know what it is? It's trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord, they're right. And they make the heart glad. The command of the Lord, it's radiant, man, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure. It endures forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They're more desirable than gold, than an abundance of money, I'll put it that way. And they're sweeter than honey, which comes from Nanikon. Now, bear in mind for a minute here, David's Bible was a whole lot smaller than yours and mine today. There was no New Testament yet because this was centuries, obviously, before Christ was born. And less than half the Old Testament had been written at that time. There were just a few books of, the, of Bible history. That's it. That's all David had. And most of what David knew and studied were the books of the law, which was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that was what David was praising here. The law, the precepts, the commands, the rules. He declared they're more precious than gold and they're sweeter than honey. Now, can I be completely honest and transparent with you? I really have a hard time, you know, just buying into David's mentality, sentimentality here because I've read through those books. And can I just be honest? They're boring. I know, it's like you said that and you're a pastor. I know, shame on me. 
Don't throw your shoes at me. I promise I'm not a heretic. Listen, but they were filled with long, tedious rules and regulations, and they spoke, can we be honest? They spoke of what appeared to be an angry and vindictive God who, who doesn't seem to love anyone, or at least that's how it appears. You see, the Old Testament, it does talk a lot about right and wrong. It talks about good and evil, sin and morality. And of course, it talks a lot about judgment and condemnation of wickedness. And there are folks who read the Bible and they struggle with this. They struggle with God being so judgmental. But perhaps we need to change our perspective like David did when he was writing this psalm. That's not how David saw the books of the law. David saw a God who clearly defined what evil truly was. He saw a God who hated wickedness. He saw a God who punished evildoers and rewarded those who tried to do the right thing. Now look at what David wrote as he thought about this, as he reflected. In addition, this is verse 11, in addition, your servant, me, I'm warned by them. I'm warned by your law. There's a great reward in keeping them. I recognize that. It protects me. Moreover, hey, keep your servant. Keep me, God, from willful sins. Don't let them rule over me. I don't want to be driven by my sin. Then I'll be innocent and cleansed from blatant rebellion. David wanted a clean heart. David recognized, just as we should, man, there's something about God's written word that changes people. It does. You know what? It puts up guardrails in our lives. It, it protects us if we take the Bible seriously. It makes us into better people. In, in other words, God gives. It, God loves us so much that guess what? He gave us a tool. He gave us a tool to bring about what? Transformation in our lives. It's the Bible. It's God's word. It's another love letter. I'm telling you, directly. For, to us from God. Let me tell you a story that just blew my mind, and, and I found this. I was so excited, and it illustrates just how potent and life-changing God's word can be. I found this story by a, an old-school war correspondent named Clarence Hall in Together Magazine. I don't know if you've ever heard of Together Magazine, and this is what it said. <clears throat> it said, the last major battle in World War II in the Pacific Ocean was the battle for the island of Okinawa, about 700 miles south of Japan. Now, the Allies fought to take this island because it was close enough to Japan to establish air bases that would be within easy reach of their enemy's homeland. It was a terrible fight, terrible battle. Thousands of Americans and Japanese lost their lives in the struggle for this island. And as Americans took the island, many Okinawans believed the lie that the Americans were vicious conquerors who would mercilessly kill all their captives. And so many of them, sadly, they committed suicide. But there was one major exception. An advanced patrol of American soldiers approached a remote village of nearly a thousand people, and the GIs were stopped dead in their tracks, barring their way were two little old men who bowed respectfully and then began to speak. And they summoned this interpreter over. And the interpreter listened to the old men, and then he shook his head and he says, man, I, I don't get it. It seems that we're being welcomed as fellow Christians. 
One says he's the mayor of the village, the other is the schoolmaster, and that's a Bible in the hand of the older man. Now the war correspondent who filed this report said, and I quote, we'd seen other Okinawan villages uniformly down at the heels and despairing. By contrast, this village shone like a diamond in a dung heap. I'm quoting, okay? <laughs> Proudly, these two men, they showed us their spotless homes, their fertile terraced fields, their storehouses, their granaries, and their prized sugar mirror. You see, they'd only seen one American before in their entire life, 30 years before the war. It was an American missionary on his way to Japan, and he had paused in their village. He'd stayed only long enough to make a pair of converts, these two men. And he taught them a couple hymns. He left them a translation of the Japanese Bible, and he exhorted them to live by it. They'd had no contact with any Christian since. Yet during these 30 years, they picked their way through the Bible. They'd adopted the Ten Commandments as their legal code, the Sermon on the Mount as their guide to social conduct. In their school, the Bible was the chief literature. It, w- it was read daily by all the students, and major passages were memorized. In this village, the precepts of the Bible were law. Later, the correspondent and his driver, they went back to that village, and they took part in a worship service. And the villagers only knew two songs, Fairest Lord Jesus, and all hail the power of Jesus' name. And the hymns, they'd suffered some changes, <laughs> but they were recognizable. And they said this, the worship was so powerful that when the service was over, the driver leaned over to the correspondent and he said this, so this, this is what comes out of only a couple guys that want to be like Jesus in a Bible? Then with a glance, the correspondent looked at all the shell holes in the village. He replied, maybe in this war, we're using the wrong kind of weapons. Friends, that's what David saw. He knew the power of God's written word to transform, to guide, and to improve the lives of those who are willing to listen to what God has to say to us. And in truth, David realized that God believes in us. He does. God's not giving up on us. God believed that we could be better than what we've been. One writer I read this week, he put it this way, and this is so good. He said this. He said, the Bible in your hand is fine. The Bible in your head is better, but the Bible in your heart will transform your life. So true, you guys. Now, as much as David... He got to experience two of these love letters, the, the, the beauty of creation and, and part, right, part of God's word. There was the third love letter he did not get to experience, but he sensed it was coming. And I would stand before you today and argue that the greatest love letter that God ever gave us is Jesus Christ. That's the third love letter that he gave to us. What does it say in John 3.16, we know the verse, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, man, but will live forever in heaven, will have eternal life. 
And here's what that means. And I want to be very clear in this. Friends, unless we have a personal relationship with Jesus himself, God in the flesh, what we see in creation and what we read in the Bible, I'm telling you, it's not going to do us much good. I want to be clear on that because I've known people that can admire the beauty of creation and can even read the Bible and miss the point of what it means to have a relationship with the living God. And I hope you're hearing this loud and clear. Uh, Let me give you an example of some people that got it. Some people that we could see in the Bible who understood the value of all three. They connected the dots. It was these wise men. The story's told of these wise men from the east, right? Do you know how they started their journey? What did they follow? A star. Is that part of God's creation? Yeah. It was like God's special letter just for them that God put in the sky. And they followed it. And then, do you know what they did after that? They consulted God's word. They went to the second love letter. They consulted God's word and they found that, hey, the king of heaven was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So you know what they did? They went to Bethlehem and guess what they found? They found the third and the greatest love letter God has ever sent to earth. They found found Jesus. And you think they just showed up and said, oh, cool, we found him. Well, see you later. No. Do you know what they did? They realized, oh my gosh, this is God in the flesh. Do you know what they did? They worshiped. They got down and they worshiped him. Friends, they entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ right there and then. They put all three together. Do you know why David was referred to as a man after God's own heart? Because David craved being known and loved by God. David knew in his heart that he wanted to know God personally. You know what I think? I think deep within the heart of every person on the planet is a desire to be known and loved by God. I truly believe this. I think some people, they just don't even know how to articulate that. They don't know how to verbalize that, but I believe this. Deep within the core of every person on the planet is to know that I have value and that I got someone out there that loves me. I, wanna, I just want to hone in on, on verse 14. Look at what 14, I don't have a, a slide for this, but I just want you to listen to verse 14. It says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Friends, can I just tell you, that phrase, meditation of my heart, it's just been rolling around in my head all week. And I think, I'm thinking about what, what does he mean by that? And you know what, here's what I think. I think David was trying to verbalize this deep sense of unease that we all have. And I think we all, at some point in our lives, you know, we lay our head on our pillow late at night, And I'll admit this, we all lay there and and our brain goes, man, does my life matter? Does anyone really know me? Why am I here? And and, and there's this disconnect. There's this meditation in our hearts and there's a disconnect there. Because if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, and I'm just going to, really honest Like, hold the mirror up, man. We know that there's something wrong with us. We know it. 
It's called sin. David knew this also. He knew he was flawed. You see, back in Psalm 19, David sensed it. Look at verse 12 again. What did he say? He said this, who perceives? Who can possibly perceive my sin? I don't like it, he said. Cleanse me. Cleanse me of this junk, this crap in my life. He knew it. Friend, David realized no matter how many animal sacrifices he made, and, and that's what they did back then, okay? They would sacrifice animals to cleanse their sins. And there was no amount of sacrifices that would be enough to cleanse all those faults. There just wasn't. People realize this again and again and again. And so God did something. He sent a remedy for this, the human sin condition once and for all. You see, to fill that deep void in our hearts, and to provide the perfect sacrifice once and for all, he sent Jesus to be that perfect sacrifice. That's the beauty of Jesus. He takes care of our flaws called sin, and he doesn't stop there. He says, now, let's spend the rest of our lives together because I love you. That's Jesus Friends, the stars, you know what? They're beautiful. They're, they're gorgeous, right? But, but they're way out there. They're, just, they're untouchable, and, and we, we don't know very much about them still. And the Bible, man, the Bible's powerful. It's truth, and it has the power to transform us. I believe that. But there are things about the scriptures that are hard to understand. Stars, words, even though they're love letters from God, I believe that, they can be difficult at times to understand. And this is why God gave us Jesus Christ. Jesus was what? Personal. He was personal. Do you know why Jesus came? Jesus was sent so we could touch him, so we could feel him, so we could hear him, experience him. This is what separates Christianity from all other religions. Every other religion says you got to work to get to God. Do you know what Christianity says? Christianity says, no, I'm going to come to you. That's amazing. A popular author by the name of Max Lucado, he put it this way. And I want to read this for you. It says, when God chose to reveal himself to mankind, what medium did he use? A book? No, that was secondary. A church? No, that came afterward. A moral code? No. To limit God's revelation to a cold list of do's and don'ts, that's as tragic as looking at a roadmap of Colorado and saying you've seen the Rockies. <laughs> when God chose to reveal himself, he did so through a human body. The tongue that brought the dead back to life, it was a human tongue. The hand that touched people with leprosy, it had dirt under the fingernails. The feet upon which the woman wept, you know what? They were calloused and smelly. So people came to this guy, Jesus. Oh, man, how they came to him. They, they came at night. They touched him as he walked down the street. They followed him around the sea. They invited him into their homes, and they put their children at his feet. Why? Because God refused to be a statue in a cathedral or a priest in an elevated pulpit. He chose instead to be Jesus, a normal-looking carpenter. There were those who mocked him, who were envious of him, who misunderstood him, and there were those who revered him. But there was not one person who met him who considered him too holy 
too divine or too celestial to touch. There was not one person who was reluctant to approach him for fear of being rejected. Man. Friends, it was in God stepping down out of heaven and becoming a man that we understand just how immense God's love is for us. If you don't hear anything today, I hope you'll hear this. You've heard it a thousand times. I'm going to say it again. God loves you. He loves you more than you will ever know. Ever. He loves you so much that he sent three of the most powerful love letters to get your attention. He sent creation. He sent the Bible. And he sent his own kid. He loves you way too much to leave you the way you are, too. But he'll take you just as you are. He loves you in spite of what you may have done in the past or how badly you have messed up your life. He just flat out loves you. So let me close. And I want to address the two different people groups that that I think could be either here or watching online today. And if you've made a decision and you, you, you're personal with Jesus, man, that's so awesome. That's fantastic, you guys. That warms my heart. But I do want to do a heart check with you for just a minute. And I want to ask you this. Eyeball to eyeball. Do you really love Jesus? Or do you just know a lot about Jesus? I'm challenging you. I I would challenge you to reflect on that. And and if it's a lot of head stuff, man, I would just challenge you to to move it 12 inches down from your head to your heart if you haven't. Man, get real. Get raw. Get raw with Jesus. He would love it. That's what he wants. Move towards a more authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. The second group that could be here or watching online, I believe you're hearing this, and maybe you've never fully understood this concept of a personal loving God, what? Who will take me just as I am? I assure you, it's real. It's genuine. Well, how could you know? Because he reached down, and he changed the life of a screwed up 17-year-old young man named Joshua when he felt alone, empty, and he laid in bed at night wondering, why am I here? And then someone told me about a personal relationship with God himself. And something in my heart just went, click. That's what I've been missing. I found that missing piece, you guys, in my heart that I've been looking for, and it changed me forever. It didn't guarantee a pain-free life. But you know what it did bring? It brought a life of love and purpose and meaning. And if you're here, if you're watching online, and you're hearing this afresh for the first time, please know that God desires you. Above all else, he is pursuing you. All you have to do is accept. Accept that Jesus came to earth for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. And he wants to walk with you for the rest of the life, rest of your life, and you will never be alone. Ever. If you desire that today, man, I'm just, I want to keep it real. I'm just, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And, and 
And all I want you to do is, is you can just repeat that prayer to yourself like you're saying it directly to God. And I guarantee he will hear you. So, if you're willing, I could just ask everyone just to pray with me right now. Pray this if you're here and you know you have a relationship with Jesus. Say this, Lord, I need some sparks. (laughs) Stoke the fire in my heart to be more in love with Jesus Christ. I I don't want it to just be a head knowledge. I desire a genuine heart transformation, Lord. Let's get real. I just recognize right now any areas in my relationship with you that have gotten cold or stagnant. Let's work on that together, Lord. I invite you into that. Thank you for your great love of me. God, I love you back. Pray this with me. If you desire to receive that relationship with Jesus Christ, because he's ready for you, you just say, Lord, I have been empty and alone for a long time. I believe Jesus is the answer to the hole missing in my life. So today, I want to accept your gift of a genuine relationship with your son, Jesus. I want to ask him to come into my life and start to transform me. I want to come clean, and I'm going to confess the mistakes, the sins that I've made in my life, and I want you to forgive me of them all. Today, I want to start a new journey with God in my life every day moving forward. And I'm going to ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.